Thanks for listening to this podcast from Walks Around Britain. For more information, our terms of use and to click through to see the show notes on our blog with photographs, videos and links to related sites, please visit walksaroundbritain.co.uk. On the 22nd edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we have a special full version of the interview with Terry Abraham on the release of his film, Life of a Mountain, Scarfell Pike. Hello and you're very welcome to the Walks Around Britain podcast. I'm Andrew White and I'm your walking guide through the next 30 minutes of walking and outdoor chat. Now this is a special edition as we're recording this a day after the world premiere of Terry Abraham's film Life of a Mountain, Scarfell Pike. And Terry chatted to me for edition 20 of the podcast, and when I managed to get hold of him to record that interview, he said he only had 10 minutes before he had to get off. I said 10 minutes is fine, because that's the slot on the podcast, and we started chatting. Now, Terry's filmmaking is better than his timekeeping, as we were talking for 22 minutes, so only a small selection made it into edition 20. So with the world premiere and all that, it seemed a good time to let you hear the full interview. But first, we can't show you what the film looks like on an audio podcast, but here's a couple of sound clips from the film. I don't come from Mountain Lakeland. I'm a Cotswold farmer originally, but I always aspired to come to the Lake District and I've always loved wild places. Although in my early 20s, I got to know Alfred Wainwright and that was a huge transition in my life. Primarily because, A, I was dyslexic and I didn't read, but I loved drawing. And I shared a passion for line drawing with AW. So I had a unique entry into the great outdoors through the prism of Alfred Wainwright. And it gave me the confidence, A, to start writing my own guidebooks. I did the Cotswold Way to start with, and I did other routes. But ultimately, I felt my destiny was here in the Lake District. So I'm a very fortunate person in being able to come and live up in the Lake District and to follow my dream. And I'm here today studying the paths as I'm going along and remembering what they were like. How long ago was it? About eight years ago when I did the Midwestern fells. That's what this category of fells around here are for me. And it's fascinating because Fixter Fells and the National Trust have done a tremendous job in this area. Many people criticise the, the hard paths, but I'm, I can assure you the fells are better for all the work that they've done. And ultimately the walkers are better off. But you can still explore. And getting away from those hard pitched paths is the most obvious thing for many walkers to do. To really get to know these fells. <laughs> Steady girls. <laughs> and Lossie was not anywhere to be seen. So I thought, well, this is going to be another job for the world famous underwater detective James Pond. <laughs> 007. <laughs> well, this goes back to, to Will Ritson, who was uh, 
the landlord of the Huntsman Inn at Wasdale Head. It's now called Wasdale Head Inn, but in those days it was called the Huntsman. And he used to sit in the corner of his bar and tell stories to keep the visiting visitors from all over the, the country, lots of climbers, amused. You've got, you've got to remember that the people who were coming to his pub at the time were academic gentlemen, upper middle class gentlemen in their tweeds. You know, who were there because they discovered this brand new sport called climbing and they were shitting up these fellas and when they came down and sat having a, having a drink in Will Ritson's bar in the evening because why would they want to go up these hills? Yeah. The only people of those hills were, were farmers looking after looking for lost sheep. And here are these people doing it for, for enjoyment, for goodness sake. Yeah, climbing up rocks. The only time he would ever go near a rock is if there was a crag-fast sheep that he needed rescuing. Perhaps he'd do something about that. But, uh, anyway, that's where it started. And uh, when Wilkinson died, it went into demise. And I don't know how many years ago, quite a while ago. About 30 years ago, Coven Council started up again. And then Jennings Brewery took it over. And it's still run by Copeland. And it's held in this pub, the bridge because it's got the biggest function room in the valley so that's the reason why it's here and I, and, but i've got to say i'm an interloper here because being a journalist i'm a professional uh, liar uh, also it's it's said in the rules and so journalists double glazing salesmen estate agents most people who work in call centers cold calling you and trying to sell you insurance and all politicians uh, are professional liars and therefore they're not allowed to enter so i'm just here for, i'm just here for the beer and the rules change the rules change whenever something new happens this they, they ban it so uh, the first uh, first time it was reenacted in this pub the guy brought a photograph to prove his lie. Photographs are now banned. Uh, no visual aid. No right. visual aid at all. Uh, somebody came in and read a script that somebody else wrote. Scripts are banned. Skull got me off the top of your head. Rules change, flexible to suit the occasion. Mind you, all these could be lies. They could. <laughs> Indeed, they could. Where are you bleeding from? And just um, from pleading Romford, where the hell do you think I'm from? So, in full, here's my interview with Terry. Firstly, tell me about the inspiration for the Cairngorms film. Ah, well, um, that has its roots with me planning the Scorefells film, as it happens. The Scorefells film's been an idea of mine for a couple of years or so, but I didn't feel that I had the right skills and equipment and confidence mm. to go ahead with that idea. I got to a point in my life where I thought, all right, I'm ready. I think I can do it and do a good job of it. Started planning that. Um, crikey, when was that? Well over a year ago. The planning stages of it, at least. And um, I was thinking of different characters I'd like to appear in the film, covering different subjects, because it's, it's going to be quite a holistic film, the score films. Hmm. And um, I approached Chris Townsend with the idea that he'd be covering the backpacking side of things around the Scorefells. Yep. And we got chatting, and I mentioned to him, you know, I've always fancied seeing you in a video, Chris, backpacking and while camping out on the tops somewhere, anywhere really, outdoors, because you just don't really see that on the TV or in DVDs right. in general, because normally TV crew turns up for the day, they film out in a field somewhere or somewhere that looks remote, get the shots done, and then they all bugger off home. 
Yes, there's, a, there's normally a four before behind them, isn't there? Yeah, that kind of thing, exactly. Um, so I wanted it to be the real deal. And then um, we just got chatting, and I said, I tell you what, let's do something in the Cairngorms, knowing that he lived there. And then um, that's how the Cairngorms film happened. So it's pure chance and luck. <laughs> but I'm really thankful that we did, because you know it's the first time I've ever produced a feature-length video having always been based on little short corporate business videos and touristy type stuff in the Peak District. Yes. And um, it was a hell of a learning experience working in the Cairngorms, that's for sure. And I learned a great deal about myself, the skills I needed for working on feature-length videos and working in environments like that, particularly the Cairngorms. It's a very harsh, big, wild environment. And um, so a lot of that... I've took the experiences from that I've took with me into the school film. So how difficult logistically was it just getting there to film? Ironically, it was easier for me to get to the Cairngorms than it is um, for the Lake District. Because um, where I live, it's right by the East Coast main line. I just jumped on a train and then get off at Abbeymore. And that was it. I was in the Cairngorms. <laughs> Whereas um, now you've got to cross the country. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's that because my, my rucksack quite large, especially in the winter. In terms of like me camping equipment and food, it's it's just just a few kilos like any normal backpacker. But it's it's the rest of the gear, it's the video gear. You know, depending on my strength and stamina and that kind of thing, and where I'm likely to go and what I'm likely to shoot. You know, I'll have at least two tripods with me. The video camera itself, which is. It's quite, a, you know, it's a small professional camera. It's, it's about as small as they can get, really, but that still weighs over a kilo. A battery for it, which will last me a few hours, that weighs over a kilo, and I'll have several of them with me. Then there's a, a DSLR I take with me. I don't film with a DSLR, but um, I'll take, you know, I do time lapse and things on that because the, you know, image re- resolution is a lot better. Yeah, lenses, batteries, all that kind of thing, and little mini crane and cam slide track and it all adds up in weight and it's it's in excess of 30 kilos it, it goes off my scales my fish scales basically and yeah it's, so the backpacking stuff isn't the problem it, it's all the filming gear it's all the filming equipment yes yeah. so that and it does get demoralizing it's, I mean, particularly with the cairngorms because as the shoots progress and we'll be going to more remote places even though we were predominantly in the northwest of the park because that's where a lot of chris's favorite areas were that he wanted to feature in the film which was well lucky for me in that respect um (laughs) but you know we only had literally 50 60 days to get the film done that's not a lot of time is it really no it isn't and you know and i'm at the mercy of the weather Mm. on the whole i was very very lucky with the weather but the underfoot conditions at the time because it was a real good winter there was lots of snow and there was all sorts of stuff on the news with the avalanches in the area and you know, the poor souls that have lost their lives. I was always very mindful of that, and that all had to be considered and where I was going and how I was approaching certain vantage points to get shots and where I'd be filming with Chris and so on. It was arduous. So, you know, often it would take me at least two days to get to where I wanted to go because, you know, slow walking in winter in places like that anyway, but with my heavy pack, it's even slower. So it was it was very, very difficult and it's probably one reason why I dislike the film, to be honest with you, because <laughs> it brings back bad memories. I think sometimes you need to wait a while before you can really appreciate what you've made. It, yeah, I mean, it's, it was all new ground for me, so 
it was it was very close to being a failure the film in truth you know it was literally to the last minute i mean i think i finished editing the film we did a couple of reshoots of some sequences that i wasn't happy with or i felt they just need they could be a little bit better and they'll do they'll do the job you know because we didn't have you know much time left and i think it was three days before it had its premiere at the keswick mountain festival that I actually I remember you tweeting about film. it yeah yeah and and then once that was out of the way Getting the film converted for DVD for the IMAX screen at the Reggae Centre in Penrith and other cinemas, that all added another workload that I never anticipated because I thought, you know, once I finished editing the film and it was done in, you know, into a nice digital file, that was it. But it wasn't. You know, it, every format requires different subtle changes to the film. So in effect, it felt like for another three, four months after we finished the film that I was still re-editing it to a point because I'm having to consider the different formats it's going into, particularly DVD, which was surprising. enough. It was a bit of a pain in the rear, to be honest with you. But And then there's the different lengths versions for festivals and things. Yeah, I mean, that again, yeah, that was new ground. You know, when festivals approached me about screening it and they were saying we need it down to 40, 45 minutes. And this, you know, it was a 96 minutes original the original film itself. And, of course, your 96 minutes is the 96 minutes you wanted to put in. Yeah, and even that, there was loads of stuff we cut out from the film. But, you know, I felt that it was just the right pace, just the right tone that we wanted for the film, as best as we could do it at the time and the conditions and the time we had to produce it. So I felt like, you know, get stuffed basically i'm not editing the film down to 40 minutes because it will spoil the tone and manner of it all and, <laughs> i can understand that yeah, yeah and then i think i spoke to i think it was matt Eason from heaton events they do yeah. sheffield adventure film festival and things like that and another matt matt burke i think it is from kendall mountain festival and they persuaded me to drop everything and just spend a week redoing the film into 40 45 minutes because the point was you know a festival they want as many films on as possible and people to see as many films as possible. And that's the reason you do a short, shorter edit, a festival edit, as they call it. And um, the irony is I did it in 24 hours. And, <laughs> and in a roundabout way, I, I kind of prefer the festival edit to the full film. So why, was it, why is that then? I think I cracked it, and that surprised me. It meant speeding things up a little bit here and there, but it wasn't to the point it was detrimental to the overall feeling of the film. Yes. You know, those scenes are, are reluctantly cut out, and I really wanted them to be in the film, but it just added to the duration you know, of the, the running time. And So I'm, I was happy with the festival at it in the end, and it, you know, it went down well at the festivals, particularly at Kendall. We uh, came second in our category. Excellent. And we got a commendation for the cinematography and Chris's narration. So that was very humbling. So you've moved from that, and you're now in the Lake District, mm. <laughs> making the film you originally wanted to make. Yeah, my baby, as I call it. Is it any different to filming in the Cairngorms? Um, generally easier, because obviously it's not such a big and remote area. Mm. So it's you know I'm not I'm not really walking any more than six seven miles in a day on average. It's it's probably more often not three or four miles at most. So I tend to like base camp for a couple of nights in a particular location where I'm, I'm after some specific shots, if I get lucky with the weather. 
and then I may head out on a day walk from there and grab some shots or then I pack up and then I move somewhere else and it might only be like a three, four mile walk away and then, you know, I kind of do like a circuit really around the area or I'll stick to certain parts of the Scorefells. So, for example, um, just recently and almost still at this point, at this time of year, the sun sets looking down Eskdale, so it lights up that side, the southern side of the Scorefells, and doesn't on the north side, on the Washwater side. So I'll be, the last two, three months, I've been heavily involved in that area of the Scorefells around Great Moss and from Hardknot, because that's where all the best scenes are to capture. And as we get into spring and late winter and so on, it will shift round towards um, Wasdale. So I'll be around that area in the next month or so, you know, capturing that special light as it hits the fells, if it does at least, anyway, weather permitting. And it's the same same principle for dawn as well, you know, because it's coming up from the east, but it's a different part of the horizon. So I've got to know the whole area, and particularly the Scorefells, intimately to the point now it's it's become a very good friend. I would like to say I know it like the back of my hand, but there's always little... Uh, nuances to the place that surprise me and I've never spotted before and it gives a certain view and that kind of thing but generally yeah I, I can walk along in the mist there on the top to know exactly where I am because I, I recognise that boulder recognise the colour of the stones on the path recognise the way the grass is growing around in a certain area and, and even bogs so they all help <laughs> Now, that knowledge is what a normal TV crew doesn't have. It, mm. With their turning up, doing the nice and easy stuff, and then toddling off. Mm. I can, I, yeah, I can, I can appreciate that, obviously. Um, You're doing something different. Yeah, I mean, they, they'll turn up, get their shots, and it does look nice. The Lake District looks nice in any weather to, you know, to the human eye. Yeah. But in terms, if you're looking at it from a, a photographer's point of view, which is how I, how I treat my video work, you know, it's about capturing the right scene at the right time with the right composition with the right light. You know, in photography, they call it chasing the light. And that's what I endeavor to do. So, yes, they may turn up and go, what's water looks nice with scorefolds looming above it on a gray, miserable day. I take one look and think that's rubbish because it looks very gray and flat, and I know it can look a lot better in certain conditions. So, yes, I could probably... You know, if it was just, say, a seasonal shoot, I could have had it done in a week. Mm. But it's taken me a whole season because I'm constantly chasing the light, going to different places. And that's not to say I'm looking for the nice weather all the time. Far from it, you know. I'm, I'm trying to give a true reflection of the fell itself. So even in poor weather, I'm, I'm there filming anyway. And it's surprising how nice some of the shots can look in, in genuinely poor weather, you know with black skies and that kind of thing can look very, very dramatic. And then you get a bit of that, that light that shafts through the clouds and hits a particular spot on the fells and so on. And that's when it, it does boost the morale when that happens. And so it's, you know, it's not always pointless going out there in poor weather, but I endeavor to go there when the conditions are right. And, and I'll, you know, if that means sat in a tent for two days waiting, then I sit in a tent for two days waiting. <laughs> And that's what makes the film different. Um, well, I don't know. You tell me. Well, I think so. It's, it's all it's all normal to me because you know you've got to remember I'm looking at it from originally as a backpacker. Yeah. You know the the video side of things that I do now it was a hobby. Fortunately for me, it's become my career. So I'm always looking at things 
in what backpackers would see when they're camped out on the fells that they all talk about and inspire people with to the joys of wild camping. So I'm, I'm just capturing that, basically, in all weathers. And I suppose in, in that respect, people will, particularly TV crews and stuff, may look at me and think, you know, the guy's nuts. Why the hell is he camped out there in those conditions? <laughs> but then, you know, I'll get that 20-second shot, and they'll be like, wow, look at that. And I'm going, yeah, see, it was worth it. Yeah. But I love it. You know, I thrive on it. I thrive on the whole challenge of it all. It really gives me um, a real buzz. It's a, it's a drug to me, really. My wife thinks I'm obsessed, but she's used to it now. As long as the bills are paid, she's happy. <laughs> so how much of an idea do you have before you go out about what you want to film? And how much of it is, and I don't want to sound derogative about this, but no. look the draw from the point of view of you spotting a shot, which is fantastic, but it wasn't the shot that you actually wanted. That's Yeah, it probably amounts to about 30%, a third yeah. or so. Um, the rest is look. But I do feel like I make my own look because there's quite often days where the forecast will indicate it's going to be very poor and it's actually the total opposite. Or they say it's going to be poor, but it's not that bad and, it, and it's still rather dramatic and beautiful what you're looking at. Also, being in those right places at the right time, you know, to, to use a phrase, well, you know, that's very, very true. You know, I'll go to that spot and I'll bloody wait for it, you know, for that shot to come. And if it really does look like it's not going to happen, then I don't bother. I mean, I can give you an example. This was in um, September, I think it was, late September. And I made a camp on Seathwaite Fell. It's a beautiful fell, little visited by the masses because they're all marching past Sprinkling Town and on their way to the score fells. <laughs> um, delightful fell so I, I made a camp there but the, the weather was appalling it was just thick clag it was really windy and wet and it got me a bit down I'd already been there 24 hours or so and I thought well I wanted to get some talking headshots of the public on the summit so I thought well give me something to do one day even though the weather was poor so I left you know left my camp and everything and went and hiked to Scorefield Pike Summit and the shots come back we were really really good even though it was a great miserable day and in a roundabout way, I nearly didn't go and do that, but I'm glad I did, because again, it gets a true reflection of the fell with the public's appetite to get up there and summit it, or their love for it, or whatever the weather. So I go back to my tent, I'm all happy. Next day, I was moving on to do a camp on S Pike. I got to S Pike, the day was a bit rough, it was a bit exposed where I camped, but I'm used to it to a degree now. Makes me shudder now when I'm at home, but when I'm out there, you know, yeah, whatever, this is nothing. I've had worse. And then the next morning, and for the next three days, woke to a perfect cloud inversion, just a pure sea, uninterrupted sea of cloud to all points of the compass, with just the fells poking out. It was absolutely beautiful. Wow. And, you know, the forecast didn't even say that. Because mm. I did have an internet signal, they weren't indicating anything like that was going to happen. They just said, you know, just clag all day from sky down to the bottom. But no, just in the valley bottoms, the tops poking out. It was absolutely stunning. And um, I couldn't believe that lasted for like three days. And I, was, I think that was the second or third occasion that happened to me as well in the area. So you see, you, it's, that's where I'm coming from. Like you, you fight on, you make your own look. You know, I could have, I was a bit down. But I carried on. I still stuck to a plan that I wanted, some shots that I wanted. I was going to get them, but I ended up getting something even better just by being out there. So in the preview clips I've seen, there's some fantastic cloud inversions 
terrific time lapse, and the impeccable Mark Richards. Mm, yeah, lovely guy. In fact, the uh, the story I just described, where I camped on S Pike, is um, where I arranged to meet Mark, who he, I don't think he's wild camped before. So he got hold of a load of gear, and um, he couldn't have had better conditions for it because when he yeah. when he turned up to meet me, it was when the cloud inversion was on, and it stayed like that. And um, it was absolutely beautiful. He's a, he's a lovely guy. I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. I, I describe Mark to people that have not met him as a bit of uh, a jovial Santa Claus. <laughs> you know, he's so jovial, he's so full of life and enthusiasm. Mm. And he'll talk to anybody and everybody. He's a lovely guy, lovely, great to be with. And it was, it was nice to be with somebody that has such a, a lot of affection for the Lake District as a whole, not just the Scorefells. And it was interesting hearing his points of view of the area and what he likes and doesn't like and so on. And, you know, we talk about that, but we often agreed on most things anyway, to be honest with you. But, um, yeah, it was, he spent a couple of nights with me up there, if I remember right, two nights on this bike. We had a fantastic time. And, and you know, it made it easier for us for filming because I wanted to film him out on the fell. So I didn't have to carry my 30-odd kilo pack with me. I could just chuck, you know, leave the tent up chuck the stuff that I don't need in there and just take my video gear and go off on a wander with him. And then after that, who knows? It depends who calls and whatever. I think we can say something will do. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't take anything for granted. I'm, I'm happy with the way the film's coming together. I'm happy with the way the editing's coming together and all the ideas that were there thrown up in the air or started to settle like the pieces of a jigsaw, and now a picture's beginning to form as I put the pieces together, and and I'm really, really pleased with it so far. I'm, I'm very, very proud of it so far, and um, even though I've got another couple of months to go filming, I'm, I'm hoping I've done Cumbrians proud, and I hope a lot of people out there that are new to the Lake District particularly will find it inspiring and engaging, and, and people that are familiar with the area, they'll probably find it enlightening to a point as well because, you know, got Mountain Rescue featured in there as well. Um, that's interesting, an interesting chapter. Mm. Farmers, climbers, shepherdess, poet, painter, you name it. They're all in there. So it's quite, it's quite a juggle trying to squeeze everything in and do everybody justice but not affect the sort of pace and mood of the film. So... But it's, thankfully, it's coming together nicely. Excellent. Terry, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you very much. And you can see the film on the Adventure Film website, Steep Edge, for which you can get the links to from our show notes to this edition of the podcast on our blog. Simply visit walksaroundbutton.co.uk and click through to the blog. We're back to normal next month with a mix of features and interviews. And if you'd like to keep in touch, follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash walksbutton. Until next time, thanks for listening and happy walking.